Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 55 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. So the last time Dr. Lisa Lewis was on air, it was the old format with my good friend, Dean Guido, and she's been on a couple of times, but it's great to have you back. I brought you on because we there was a planned recent event that you were going to put on, but given the challenge that we've all seen this year with hosting live in-person stuff, so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about what you've got planned and that event anyway, because now it's a little bit more up in the air as to when. Mm-hmm. But uh, for anybody who's not familiar with Lisa, Lisa is a licensed psychologist. Mm-hmm. You are a certified addictions counselor, and you also do professional development with uh, within the fitness industry, which is something you've been embracing more recently. We're going to talk more about that. It's great to have you back. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. So you have been in the process of developing, and I want to make sure I get the title right. It's called uh, Psych Skill, sorry, Inside the Coach's Mind, Psych Skills for Fitness Professionals. And this is volume two now. So now the the live seminar in person is, is a little bit more up in the air, but what did you build here? Yeah. So for people who are listening, if they've never heard of me before or don't know, uh, first I created a volume one of Psych Skills for Fit Pros, which really focuses on actionable items of coaching clients. So how are clients motivated? How can you assess and leverage their motivation? How can you help them to change? So really kind of nuts and bolts of coaching. Um, Volume two takes a deeper dive inside the coach's mind and looks at the coach's own psychology and how a coach can understand and actually improve the way they think, feel, and behave with their clients in order to enhance the outcomes that they get for, for, you know, in their business and with their clients. And one of the things that I've I've kind of pursued, I, I read a ton. I'm trying to like always become a better coach. We, as trainers, we're reading books on behavior, on psychology, on habits, Mm -hmm. but you're uh, to my knowledge, one of the only people in the fitness industry who's doing anything like this. So what's the barrier to getting this stuff through to trainers when they're theoretically looking for this information? That's a good question. Um, number one, you know, maybe there's only one of me and a lot of people out there may not know me. I'm not a coach. You know, I'm not a personal trainer. I'm not actually doing the work. And I, I think a lot of times people who are offering education inside of an industry work in that industry. So I am an outsider, which maybe may make it harder, but at the same time, I think it gives me an advantage because I don't have expertise in sets and reps and programming. That's really all the coaches that I work with have that expertise. And what I bring in is really the expertise in communication, motivation, counseling, interviewing, you know, using verbal and nonverbal skills to help people grow and and be their best. So in a way, being an outsider, I really like um, because there's no competitiveness and I'm not pitching sets, reps, programming, or a way to coach. I'm pitching, you already are a coach with a style and with a way that you like to do programming. And so all of these psychological skills can be added in, you know, and it's not really like you have to bring in something that's artificial, the way that you think and you feel and you behave is already inside of you. It's how to be aware of that and how to leverage that in order to get the best out of the coaching you're already doing. I wanted to probe the outsider 
comment as well, because it immediately reminds me of our friend Pete Dupuis, because I would be certain that you would know Pete rather well, because Tony and Pete are former partners with Cressy Sports Performance. Uh, for the uninitiated, Lisa Lewis also happens to have a relatively well-known husband in the fitness industry, Tony Gentle, of course. So um, that's, that's been an asset into, you know, getting into our world as well. But I remember meeting Pete in 2017, and he's not a trainer, not a coach. He's the right. business partner. And, um, you know, in a lot of cases, the, the salesman for uh, Cressy Sports Performance. And I remember in a room full of trainers and really well-known fitness presenters, Pete sort of sat off quietly to himself in the back. And I love Pete's stuff from listening to him in podcasts. So I was really excited to go and meet him. And I made a point of spending some time and energy interacting with him. And he's become a good friend. He's been on the podcast a bunch of times. And how does that feel where that was one of the first things you went to is you use the term an outsider hmm. when you are coaching you know, people in our world because you realistically are now a coach of coaches in a sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how does that, uh, how do you navigate feeling like an outsider? I think, I think pretty well. Um, like I said, there's a real advantage to not being a competitor. You know, I think there's a real advantage saying I'm coming at this with this information from a different lens, from a different point of view, from a whole different industry. Really, I think that psychology and the field of counseling in particular has so much to offer coaching. And I'm not the only person to think that, you know, I, I earned a, a degree in sports psychology that was in the same department as uh, a master's degree in coaching. And there were overlaps in those classes. So, you know, I think that there's so much to bring in and I've really enjoyed it because it seems to me that the the information that I'm asked to present on and talk about is stuff that coaches are really hungry for. And that is not really available um, otherwise, which is, you know, all the content I've created is because of requests or demand, things that I've been asked to talk about in in-services or seminars or on podcasts. So I have literally just accumulated lists of skills and issues uh, to, to present on based on what coaches ask about or say they need to understand better. So hopefully now I'm going to challenge people listening is they've got to, I usually tell people the had to go follow, but you know, go follow what Lisa's doing. And no, I want more and more people to be aware of what you are doing. And hopefully more people who've got bigger reaches and broader audiences can help direct more of our industry towards what you're doing, right? Because that's ultimately the mission is to make everybody better. I don't really think of you as much of an outsider, given the fact that your education and the world you've existed in and the people you've interacted with. And now you've been, uh, I first, I believe I would have first met you, was it 2018 or 2019? I can't remember which year at the Kansas City Fitness Summit. And you'd present here. 19. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll, I'll bring this up after. Actually, we can talk about it now. It's also in my plans to go to the Raise the Bar Conference. That's at Orlando, Florida, 4th yeah. through 6th. Mm -hmm. You're presenting there. Tony's going to be there. Dean Somerset's going to be there. Chris Duffin, Dan John, John Berardi. I could take, oh, there's a massive list of really, really prominent people. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a good event. I went and uh, there's Tool Concerts, huge Tool fan in Florida in February. And I saw this and I'm like, oh, there's this event. And I just come back from Luca Hosovar's event. And I'm like, 
the hell with any more American travel and like the stuff coming back to Canada. I was like, no way. Mm. But I'm like, oh, there's this event in February in Orlando and there's tool concert in Orlando and one the next day in Tampa. What's the dates? Um, event date, event date, event date, day off, concert, concert. I'm like, that's too perfect. I got to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, that's my plan. I, hopefully that doesn't get blown up with everything that's going on. But Florida seems like a bit of a free for all. So. <laughs> Even if the world's ending, Florida will still be open. So yeah, and I'm Florida. looking at this list of people. I'm like, Dean and everybody. I'm like, you guys are going to Florida willingly? Like, okay, cool. I'm in. Um, so <laughs> let's see. Oh, another thing I was really curious about, because I, I don't know what the timing was with this, but I just bought a bunch of books on coaching, literally like the word coaching in, in the title. Mm-hmm. And in my search, I realized there weren't a lot of of these type of books. I, I think there probably are more, just not a lot of them present coaching the title. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with any of these books, but I, I wanted to see what, if you thought this sort of stuff is valuable and kind of more resources that coaches can dive into versus the personal training books and the, the, the movement mechanic books and the nutrition stuff. So I grabbed coaching for performance. I grabbed uh, the heart of laser focus coaching, coactive coaching and the coaching habit. I don't know if you're familiar with any of those books. Maybe the first one. Who's the author of the first book that you mentioned? God, it's just outside my reach. So I'm trying to see oh. Whitmore, John Whitmore. I think that one's a bit more, you know, fitness industry. Yeah, I, that one sounds familiar to me. The others do not. It's tricky because just going off the title, you have no idea who, you know, who wrote it and what their background is and, and how grounded it is in literature or if they just made stuff up. One time I got a book, I, I purchased a book um, that a client actually said, oh, I, I purchased this book. I think it's pretty good. I just started it. And the book was horrible. I felt like somebody with a with an undergraduate degree in psychology just wrote a bunch of stuff down. Um, but it had a fabulous title. It had a really cool picture on the front. And I, I think it did okay. So was it's really... title. Huh? Was there swearing in the title? There was no swearing in the title. Um, but, you know, it's like... I think that I think the thing with psychology in the field of fitness and in coaching is that it's tricky because I think people who are my contemporaries who are also in this space may not have a psychology background. So they're interested in talking about mindset or in motivation, but they're coming at it from a very applied coaching background and don't necessarily have specialized education or training in psychology. And not to say that there's not a place for that, because I think there is. However, it's just a different animal. And I think it can feel softer um, and much more applied than somebody like me, who's coming from a more academic side of it. And I'm a clinician also, I'm a healthcare professional. So it's just a, it's just a very different approach. What I, what I would recommend, you know, I love motivational interviewing. I think you know this about me and I have I've got it right here. A couple motivational interviewing books that I like. One of them is the one you're holding up, Motivational Interviewing in Nutrition and Fitness. There's a newer one that I purchased and it's called Coaching Athletes to Be Their Best. Let me write that down. And it it is for motivational interviewing and sports psychology. So it's not exactly what you're doing. However, what I like about it is it's like 90% vignettes. So if you wanted a lot of really actionable sentences or phrases, or what would I say under these circumstances, or what would I say to an athlete 
or a client who said this to me, that book is really like number one, um, in terms of applied. So I've, you know, motivational interviewing is one of the major topics in my volume one online course. And what people will say is like, okay, but how do I say this in my voice? Or like, how do I say this to my, like, what's the way for me to like really take this and make it my own. And I think reading a book like that is one of the ways, because there's so many examples that you could go through it with a highlighter and mark off the stuff that felt most authentic to you and then practice it. This will take this whole conversation a little deeper. And I don't know if there's, you're able to really nail down a, a, a hard firm answer, but given all of the popular books that are out there in the space and the stuff that people are drawn to, let's say James Clear's Atomic Habits or uh, Chip and Dan Heath's writing, things like Switch. A, are there great resources that you feel like people should read that would be great entry-level stuff, not unlike motivational interviewing? And is there any any way for coaches to kind of be able to differentiate between, all right, this has got substance, this is quality, and this is pop crap that is marketed to the masses, but it's, it's not going to. Mm. Yeah. I always look at who wrote the book. So you could even look at their LinkedIn profile. If they have a university affiliation, I usually feel really good about that. If they're from a particular university, because that means they have training in how to write something that's grounded in either research or theory or something that's legit. They're not just like riffing and, and making stuff up. So I like a university affiliation. I, I always like to see what people's credentials are, what their experience is. Um, I like to see if there's an editor of the book. Often that, even if fitness professionals wrote it, if somebody's editing it, who's really fabulous, like, like Lou Schuler, for example, then that would make me feel really confident about the, about the material. Um, yeah, you can't always count on things like doctor because you don't know what they're a doctor of. Go read um, books by Jason, Dr. Jason Fung, or I don't know if Dr. Mehmet Oz has written anything or Joseph Mercola. And I just left, listed off three and I'll say it relatively well-known charlatans in, you know, awesome. the, the health and wellness space. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Bung, for example, writes books about fasting and he's a nephrologist out of Toronto. A nephrologist huh. is a kidney specialist for anyone listening who doesn't know what that means. And I'm not sure where a kidney specialist learned about nutrition, but uh, you know, it doesn't exactly translate, right? Mm -hmm. um, I never remember, what is it, the appeal, appeal to authority? There's a, there's a logical fallacy at play here. I can never memorize all the names of the logical fallacies, but just because someone has doctor in front of their name does not mean, or PhD, does not mean they have any expertise outside of the field of their education. Mm -hmm. Carefully. Cool. Uh, okay. So I'll pivot off that one because that's a tough one to give a really specific answer to, I think. And I love books and given how much I've read, I feel like I've got a pretty good barometer, but I know there are people out there trying to find these answers. So I think the best answer still is to go and explore your stuff, your articles, the stuff you've got on your website. And if they're interested, dive deeper, go into your coursework. Yeah. The other thing I will recommend, um, I'm just looking back here at my bookcase. Um, I think changing for good is really something that all coaches should read. It is the, it is the 101 of the theory of change, the trans theoretical model of change. And I know that that sounds really boring and dry, but actually I don't think the book is really boring or dry and it walks you through, here's the process by which people change and I think it's important for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's, it's kind of like the sister or the sibling of motivational interviewing. It's like the theory underlying the practice of motivational interviewing. Number two, trans theoretical means across 
theories. So basically, uh, Rolnick, is it Rolnick Miller and, um, oh gosh, Di Clemente, I think is the other author, or Prochaska, Prochaska Di Clemente. Um, they basically looked at all different approaches to trying to help people change and said across all these different approaches and orientations, the most important thing is to match your client's readiness for change or where they're at in the change process with the kind of interventions you're using and how you're communicating with them. So I think that book is a pretty easy read. It's very straightforward. And I think it would help coaches, number one, understand their clients and number two, prevent themselves from getting burnout or frustrated with clients who may not be ready to like up and change their whole lifestyle tomorrow, even though you're ready <laughs> to help them with that. Yes. What, if any balance do you feel coaches should take with trying to know it all? Obviously they're still learning about human movement, mm -hmm. nutrition, but the, the psychological and coaching aspect of it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, all of us who are people helpers will never stop learning. We're always, we're always going to be continuing our education in one way, shape or form. And when I meet people who come to hear me speak, or they've taken my course, if they have come looking for me, or they have selected my content, what I hear most often is I've got, I know how to do sets and reps and programming. Like I've got those basics and I see what I need to sustain myself and to be successful is to understand people is to be more psychologically minded and, or be a more effective communicator. So, uh, you know, I've heard coaches say, I really feel like that's what makes the difference from a good coach and a great coach, because once you have the basics, the nuts and bolts and the foundation, that's really the difference maker is the psychology piece. It's probably going to keep your clients around longer. They're going to see more success. More successful clients are clients who have a, I mean, I don't love thinking of these terms. We're talking to trainers, you know, along a higher average lifetime value per client, which means you have to find less new clients. So it's great for business. And those happy clients are probably going to refer you more work anyway. So I'm interpreting your answer to think that we should heavily weight our efforts into this space, especially because it's probably something coaches are lacking. And I think too, coaches, you know, probably a lot of us don't come into the people helping field because it's the most lucrative field. I, I think a lot of people come in this field because they want to inspire change and they want to have an effect in a positive way on other people. And you cannot do that just going in with your program and saying, eat this and pick up that and do what I say. And then we will have achieved your goal. That's not how human beings work. So you can have all of the knowledge and technical skill in the world, but if you can't build rapport and you can't assess somebody's motivation and work with that, and you, you can't maintain the relationship, then you're, all of your knowledge and your skill is for naught or, or some of it. You know, I think, I think that's really where the difference comes in between coaches who can deal with a lot of different kinds of people effectively versus I, I have met coaches before who are like, I think this psychology stuff is crap. I just clients work with me who want to work with me and this is the way I work. And if they don't like it, they can go elsewhere. And if you're like a super, you know, popular or super niche coach who coaches one kind of person and, and that works for you, 
like mazel tov, you know, I'm, I'm glad that works out. But for most of us, we have to work with a broad range of people. We have to work with a lot of people. We have to be on all the time. And all that requires is psychological resilience and know-how and, and the ability to really be able to maintain relationships with people from all different walks of life. And I think there's something to be said for the middle ground. I think we have to recognize the kinds of clients that are outside of our the style we like to work with. For example, yes. I tend to work heavily in general population. I have some young athletes, uh, I know some older adults. I have no desire to coach competitive bodybuilders. That's mm-hmm. not a skill set I really have. I don't like doing the programming for competitive power lifters, but you know, everybody I train is focused around strength. And while I will occasionally work with someone who I would consider to be, you know, major weight loss, I wouldn't want to have an entire roster of clientele or market towards that, that right. need. Yeah. And I think people self-select to your attitude, the type of clients you're already working with. Sometimes your niche finds you. So I think there is something to be said for having a good understanding of the kinds of clients that um, energize you, enrich you, you enjoy the experience of working with and type of clients who you may feel a little bit more emotionally drained after working with. And you mm-hmm. have to manage your workload with those type of people. But I agree with you and what you emphasize that you can't just cherry pick people who are going to be blind program followers and perfectly adherent. There's not that many of those people. Yeah. We do have to get into the, the, uh, you know, the, the emotions and the navigating, helping these people listening to them because everybody has stuff that goes on in their day, their week, their life, whatever. You, know, you could have a perfectly adherent client who all of a sudden has a, you know, a major shift in their, their physical health or a loss of a family member or something. And, and you'd better have some empathy and ability to navigate that conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Looking inward at trainers. Cause a lot of what we just talked about is trainers learning stuff to help clients. Yes. This has been a brutal year and a half for a lot of our industry. Oh yeah. What should coaches be doing to look inward for their own self-care, mental health, that spectrum? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And it is, it is really the overarching topic of volume two. And so the way I approach that is to start by saying psychology includes three things. You know, it is the study of cognition, which is thinking, emotion, which is your feelings and behavior, which is your actions. So there are three main modules in volume two that address each one of those topics. So in terms of taking care of and being aware of your thinking, we all have strengths. We have personal values and character strengths that we bring to our work. And we have some blind spots. We have ways that we tend to think about things, especially when we're stressed, that can be rigid or can, or can be less than objective. And so getting to know what your strengths are, how to leverage those, and what your blind spots are and how to be aware of those are ways to improve your thinking. In terms of your emotions, number one, it's important to understand the most updated neuroscience on what the heck emotions are and why we have them. And there is some really fantastic literature that's come out from Lisa Feldman Barrett, who I'm a huge fan of. She's a neuroscientist out of Northeastern, um, who really has turned upside down the way that we understand emotions and what they're about. So I think understanding what are these feelings that I have rattling around my body and what do I do with them to make the best decisions or to have the best relationships 
is one aspect of that second module. And the other is kind of the dance that we do back and forth in our relationships, meaning what are the emotional dynamics in relationships? So for people who are listening, who maybe teach like small group training or group exercise classes, they know each class has its own vibe, has its own kind of personality. And that's a dynamic. Every client that you work with, there's a different vibe there. There's a different way that their personality and your personality kind of mix together to create this cocktail. And those dynamics don't just happen. You have influence over them as the coach. Um, we call this transference and countertransference in psychology, or we call it the dynamic process. Um, and so I'm basically bringing those topics in from psychoanalysis and, and psychology to apply them to the field of counseling. That's been probably the hardest part of curriculum design because to my knowledge, nobody has done that before. So I'm trying to bring in these pieces because I think it's happening all the time that coaches are dealing with all kinds of emotions and personalities and dynamics without really any education on what's going on and how to influence that in a constructive way. And then finally, the third module focuses on behavior or actions. So I spend some time talking about professional boundaries and what, what, what is your own set point comfort zone for what kind of boundaries you want to establish? How can you establish them in your work? to promote your own health and sustainability, and also to have the best, highest quality relationships with your clients. And if you have clients that are really tricky to set limits with, or you kind of let a boundary down and have been letting them take, take, take from you or drain you, how can you reset that boundary without causing the client to feel like they're being rejected or pushed away or things like that. And then I also uh, provide some information on mental health and self-care, just some like 101, I think for all coaches to know, you know, self-care isn't painting your toenails or having a bubble bath. It is using something other than a healthcare professional to prevent disease, to take care of illness and to really help yourself to be the best version of yourself. And so I think self-care kind of gets an eye roll or gets scoffed out by people, particularly people who are tough and hardworking and type A high achievers. However, if you are going to work in this industry where there's crazy hours, where you have to be on, where you have to work with a broad spectrum of people, you need self-care so that you don't burn out. And, and self-care is not just lifting weights. And that sounds crazy coming from me because I'm such a diehard devotee of that. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's all the other stuff that complements it. And as I'm getting a little older, you know, 43 now, not old, but I'm not that, you know, early 30 something that was pretty, didn't matter what I did. Mm -hmm. I'm recognizing the importance of sometimes I just need to take an afternoon nap. Sometimes mm -hmm. I need to go, all right, no more of this because there's my full coaching schedule. I was getting this podcast. There's all the writing stuff that I'm working on. There's the online business. There's social media. You actually like want a larger following on social media. And mine is not large by the standards of a lot of people in the industry. It comes with time work of responding to stuff. And I enjoy it, but it's time consuming and it's tiring. And it is not self-care. That pings of notifications right. and the constant going back in there. That dopamine, you know, hit. That's yeah. not self-care. So you've got to set some, I've learned, I have to set some boundaries around that stuff. That's right. And social media is more and more a part of most coaches and trainers lives now. 
especially the ones that are coming up through and trying to build brands. You know, I've got Dean Somerset coming up in the next episode. It's the the plan. And one of the things I'm going to ask him about is, I mean, Dean is still a pretty young guy initially, but he's been around a long time. Him and Tony kind of came up the same generation, very, very similar, and they work closely together. Mm-hmm. So Tony can probably relate to this too, where those guys didn't rely heavily or have to respond to social media in the early parts of their careers. And they built brands and reputations very much outside of that. Mm-hmm. Social media came in later. Now coaches, I think, have this belief that they have to be very present and aggressive on social media. So that's just one more thing that's competing against the time you need to take good care of yourself. I don't, any thoughts on the role of social media and managing these things that you said are important? Well, it's the, I mean, it's the vortex that will suck anyone dry and, and spit them out. So it's another reason why professional boundaries and self-care are so important because it is a never ending, you know, you're never done really on social media. If you don't, choose to be. I just think there is so much pressure on fitness professionals to be available at all times, to be available for all things, you know, to work ridiculous hours. What other industry could you be seeing somebody at 5 a.m. and then be seeing somebody at 7 p.m. on the same day? I mean, it is, this is insanity. So there are so many aspects of, of the fitness industry that say, do more, do more, do more, you know, get more clients, have a bigger following, add, add, add. And I'm not saying that that stuff is wrong. However, there is a point of diminishing returns. And if you burn yourself out or you end up hating your work so much that you're miserable, what is the point? And so we all have to figure out our own Goldilocks amount of work versus things that are going to rejuvenate you, whether that's you know picking up heavy stuff or taking naps or traveling or whatever the case Maybe those of us, I, I think most people in the fitness industry tend towards working too hard and need to back it off and need to add self-care as opposed to the other way around. At least the audience that I'm familiar with, they tend to be those hardworking high achievers. And it seems to me like a lot of people who are in the fitness space, particularly if they're entrepreneurial, you know, have that high, hardworking mindset, which is great up to a certain point. I think part of the problem is fitness professionals almost invariably are working in their business and on their business at the same time. You get traditional business owners who generally scale and are successful. They do learn to step out of the, the in the trenches aspect of the business. They probably start there, but they step away from that. They still have a lot of things to do, but they're not always the frontline person mm-hmm. as the coach whether it's online, in person, you are the point of contact, the interaction with the clientele, but you're also working out and building all the other aspects of your business, whether it's developing seminars and teaching seminars and traveling for them like you guys are doing, Mm -hmm. or, you know, the article stuff or any other, you know, Mm -hmm. content creation on top of the social media stuff. But then you turn around and are you coaching 30, 40, 50, and sometimes 60 hours a week? (sighs) And it's like two full jobs rolled into one. I mean, that's the life of owning your own business. But then some of these coaches are still working at commercial gyms. Right. So there's, there's a big demand on time. And I know there's a lot of pressure to do all these things for the long-term game. I, taller, I handle high workloads really well. And I thrive off and I enjoy it. But I also have to remind myself that I'm not everybody else. Not everybody has my 
willingness to do that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody has their own sweet spot. And I think sometimes what I have seen is people will look at the one who's the, the highest producer or the hardest worker and say, I should be working the way that person is. And it's not true. I mean, even if you got the same quantity, you, you wouldn't necessarily get the same quality or quality. So each person has to figure out for themselves what is, what is the right mix, what is the right amount. And we're really never encouraged to do that. And I certainly don't think people in the fitness industry are encouraged to do that. I think they're encouraged to bust their ass um, and to bend over backwards and to not think about this stuff. But if you want to stick around, if you want to be, like you said, you know, Dean and Tony have been around a long, long time. And I think I, you know, I can't speak for them, but I think both of those guys have plenty of things outside of fitness that they love and enjoy and that they do, you know, they take time and energy to do. Um, and so I, you know, it is old school to say be well-rounded, but that's, that's what helps people, you know, be in the same line of work and to really enjoy their career for years on end. If you follow and plug into Tony's social media for anyone listening, you'll notice that family is a theme that pops up, right? He, he's obsessed with Julia is just mm-hmm. fascinated with being a dad, which is cool. And that's endearing. And I think that's as important, if not more important to pay attention to than I'll contrast. I, I'll always use Luca Hosevar as one of my favorite examples of just, I don't know if you're super familiar with Luca, he's presenting mm-hmm. in um, Orlando. Yeah, same okay. You are. That's the event I just came from. He's got a gym in uh, just outside of Seattle mm-hmm. and he is hustle and nonstop and up late and late workouts and mm-hmm. doing so many things. And I find that inspiring, but I also have to check myself when I'm plugged into him and you can watch someone with that kind of work ethic and his media and just get burned out, just trying to imagine keeping up with it and feel, <laughs> feel like you're not doing enough, no matter how much you're doing. So you got to kind of like put him in a box, right? Like, go watch Tony, right? Tony is thriving and has an incredibly successful career, but yet you're getting to see those moments that are the other aspects of life. So raise the bar in Florida. So presuming yes. the world doesn't, you know, sabotage that whole thing. Like we said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. good to go. What do you, uh, what do you got planned for there? What are you going to bring to that event? That's a good question. You know, I probably what I'll, what I will end up doing is bringing some greatest hits, which is, it seems to me like it's always useful for people to hear about negative thinking and how to deal with negative thinking, namely from clients, because that seems to be a big thing that burns coaches out is what do I do with the person who is like incessantly focused on needing to lose the last five pounds or is always beating themselves up in session or is always second guessing me and like challenging the things I have in their program. So addressing negative thinking is, is really one of the greatest hits in terms of the content and material that I present on and what to do about that, how to work with negative thinking in, in sessions and in your work with clients. Um, but I hope to bring in some of my new material as well that I've just, I just completed uh, beta testing some volume two material at ethos fitness and performance, which is a fabulous little gym down here in Boston and with their staff. So, um, I, I will probably present some material on the psychology of the coach and, and try to pick out what are some really, actionable ways that you can, um, improve the way you think, feel and act in, you know, in your interactions, in your work as a coach, 
that would bear some fruit and help you to either enjoy it more or to be more effective mobile. When's the book coming out? You know, it sounds <laughs> like you have all this stuff that we almost need a book from you. Now, I know that's putting you on the spot, but. Well, so what I will do is with the volume two material, I will be putting that into online course curriculum. So just like volume one is currently an online course that's available for, um, I think people who have NSCA and NASM certification can get CEUs for that. I will also build an online course for the volume two material. And, and quite frankly, I like doing a course. It's to me, it's much more digestible for people than a book is because there are, they're all, you know, 10 to 20 minute lectures. Uh, they all include interviews, videos with different people from the fitness industry. People can start, stop it, go move along at their own pace. I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there who would prefer a book, but I like the setup of a, you know, do at your own pace kind of a course. So I don't have a date for that, but I am hoping before the middle of 2022, that will be out there and available. I think developing courses is more common in the fitness industry. Anyway, there are some people who've even written books. Uh, I'm guessing you probably know who Brett Bartholomew is, his book, uh-huh. Coaching, right? Yes. So- Brett's got the art of coaching. He, he does a lot of courses and, and stuff and mentorship with that. But he does have the book Conscious Coaching. Um, another guy, Joel Jamison, he was one of the speakers in, in Seattle. He's got an old book that he put together, Ultimate MMA Conditioning, but it's really one of the best things on energy systems and, and conditioning training. Mm-hmm. But he's got um, a certification and coursework on conditioning stuff as well. He works with a very high level MMA uh, athletes, a lot of UFC guys. So it seems to be kind of the trend that even if someone drops the book, it really is becoming like course material. And you can find this across the industry. Um, how much, how much stuff do Dean and Tony have, right? Like how many info products do those guys have? Yeah. So it seems to be the way. And if the fitness industry soaks it up, then all the better. We just have to get more people to find your stuff. So anyone listening, if you've got someone in your world who you feel like, Oh, this conversation is going to be super helpful for this coach who's maybe struggling with burnout or struggling with relationships with their clients or any aspect of what we just talked about. Share Lisa with them, please. So Lisa, where can they find you? You can follow me on Instagram. That is like my little fitness where fitness meets psychology baby. And my tag is uh, at Dr. Lewis consulting. And what I try to do at least three times a week is weave together strength training and or fitness with various aspects of psychology, be it mental health promotion or um, thinking more clearly, understanding emotions, improving your behavior and your habits. Um, So that's the number one way. You can also go to my home base, which is my website, drlewisconsulting.com. And you can see podcasts that I've been on, articles that I've written, you can take a look at the online course if you're interested in checking that out and then seeing events I'm doing um, like the raise the bar in February. Beautiful. Well, I look forward to seeing you there because that is in my plans. Yes, you too. And um, anyone who is listening, who's interested in it, go check it out. I think they have a Instagram. I'm following it. Just look up, raise the bar. Um, it looks really promising as the lineup is one of the craziest lineups I've ever seen. It's really impressive. Yeah. So again, Lisa, it's always a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank um, you, Andrew. Guys, please check out Lisa's stuff. I can't say it enough. I keep repeating myself. And for if anybody has uh, recently found the podcast, you can actually dive into more of Lisa's stuff. She's been on old episodes of the old format. So just scroll down through, you'll find it. 
And if you have not yet given me a review, please, that would be super helpful. If you haven't yet connected with me via Instagram, that's my hub, Andrew Coates Fitness. Shoot me a message. I want to hear from you guys. And I uh, hope you all stay tuned next week. If everything goes according to plan, you'll have Dean Somerset. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you.